Welcome to New Thought 2020 and Beyond. I'm Robert Brzezinski, your host, and I invite you to join my guests and I as we explore the social and political issues of our day from a higher consciousness. Together, we'll explore the events, discussions, and opportunities that are shaping our world and future. Together, we'll do the work of creating a world that works better for everyone. Join us, New Thought 2020 and beyond. And hello again, dear ones. Reverend Robert Brzezinski with you for episode number three of New Thought 2020 and Beyond. I have a very special guest with us today. Reverend Mark Gilbert is with us, and he's a longtime friend and colleague, collaborator. I'll tell you more about him a little later on. And before we get to that, though, it's... uh, New Thought 2020 and beyond, that means it's time for a prayer. We start every episode with an opportunity to center ourselves. So unless you're operating heavy machinery, driving a vehicle, or somewhere where it's not safe to close your eyes, uh, as long as you're in a safe spot, I do invite you to close your eyes and turn within for a moment to recognize the one. Take that deep, holy inner breath. And allow yourself to recognize that one power, presence, and intelligence that's operating as all of life. In this moment, I know that one by many, many names. Some call it Buddha or Brahma or Yahweh, Vishnu, Kuan Yin, Source Energy. Call it God. Call it the one. Call it whatever serves your experience of recognizing the one. God, as the all of all, the life force, the the love, the light, the beauty, and the truth, the health, the wealth, the well-being, the abundance, everything necessary for this thing called life, and recognize that that one operates as your life, as my life, as all life. And so there is this magnificent, divine, diverse connection between all of life for every expression of life is a divine emanation of the one. Your life, my life, the lives of those in our families and friends. Everyone, everywhere, part of this divine wholeness. And so what I know is I know this time, this day, this experience, this conversation flows greatly, freely, with great abandon, with great joy. For this is God getting to know itself. This is God revealing itself into the world. So above all, I am just grateful to know that everything's happening here exactly as it must. That all is well, and God's got this. So I get out of the way. I let go of my desires. I let go of my concerns, my agenda. And I let God express its truth in the world. I let God be God. And I invite you to join me in affirming this truth as I say aloud. And so it is. Well, welcome back, everyone. 
I am Reverend Robert Brzezinski, and as I mentioned, I do have a great guest with us today. Uh, I'll do a full introduction of Reverend Mark a little later during the primary interview, and uh, but we've got some great things to talk about today. Really deep, rich conversation uh, that I know is gonna, is about to happen. Uh, Reverend Mark and I have had a chance to talk on many of these subjects at greater length, and so uh, I'm excited to to get into it and to share with Reverend Mark. So why don't we do just that? Let's uh, let's jump into how about an OMG did you see segment coming right up. All right, folks, here we are, the weekly OMG Did You See, and today's story, uh, I just love this one, this is hilarious, so uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, it appears, was prepared to do a, uh, a big demonstration, and a group of people decided they didn't like that idea, and so they got together, and what they did is they had a kazoo demonstration. And it was actually a heavy metal band that started this. A guy, uh, the band's called the Lamb of God. They decided they wanted to protest, counter-protest the Westboro Baptist Church. They did it with kazoos, and they drowned them out. I thought it was a hilarious story. Um, Reverend Mark, I'd love to hear your take on this one. Um, share with us the, the spiritual perspective of a kazoo <laughs> shout-out, shout-down. You know, it's interesting. It was a funny story, Robert, but... Uh... You know, my, my first take on it is, is in regards to having read or heard about uh, people affected by the Westboro uh, protests before. And I thought, you know, people always struggle with what to, how to respond to them. And so I thought this was an appropriate uh, uh, response. Uh, but from a spiritual standpoint, I guess, you know, what I would say to anything is that if somebody is not physically hurting us and they're, and they're exercising their uh, free speech rights, as much as we disagree with them and think that they're, uh, what they're saying is harmful, uh, if they're not really causing direct harm, probably the best spiritual response is to ignore them and not give in. What we give energy to is what persists in our life. You know, what we resist persists. And so, uh, you know, I think anytime you see anybody pushing back against Westboro, uh, they tend to enjoy the argumentativeness um, but in this case, what, what uh, the response did was it uh, not didn't argue with them, but it basically didn't allow their hate-filled words to fill the, uh, the brains and minds of people who were there in the, in the session. And instead, people got to, uh, and who doesn't love a good kazoo uh, playing story? Anyway? <laughs> exactly. Uh, the singer for the band, uh, Randy Blythe, he called on his fans to dress in the most absurd costumes. And I absolutely agree with you. I think that I know that's what I loved in this story. It wasn't an attempt to make Westboro Baptist wrong per se, or mm -hmm. to argue and fight or to feed exactly what I believe it is that uh, I agree with you that they desire there. They, they look for the confrontation, it seems, uh, but to meet them with the absurd and yeah. allow and to provide something that was, would draw everybody else away from, uh, Westboro's message. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of a time a number of years back, uh, Westboro Baptist came here to Mile High, to Mile High Church in Lakewood. And at that time, uh, everyone in the community was also counseled. We're not going to engage. We're not going to go out there and talk to them. We're, we're going to let them do their thing. 
uh, and trust that our message of love and inclusion and unity will far outweigh that. Um, and you know, didn't you, don't you know it? They they came, they set up shop, and about five minutes later, one of those great Colorado thunderstorms whipped up, and the winds got all crazy, and they ran for cover. And by the time uh, church let out, well, it was sunny and warm again. That's what happens here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's an interesting dynamic that we have this tension between wanting to push back against those that we disagree with, and also feeling the spiritual call to you know, at least surround or direct love towards them, you know, and, and we can look at the folks at Westboro and I, I know we've all read the stories about the, you know, the families and the, the guy who started it and the, how people have sort of, you know, forced into it cult-like in a way, you know, and, and our hearts can go out to those who have led lives that lead them to believe such harmful uh, thoughts about others and, and to take the direct action that can, you know, that can be so disruptive others and, in sacred moments, like they're protesting at uh, servicemen's funerals and things like that, you know, so people who are in the midst of grief have to deal with, with this negative issues. And right. so, that, you know, part of us can be very disagreeing with their, their methods and, and be angry about it to a degree. But at the same part, if, if we're looking at it from a higher revolutionary standpoint, you know, we know that uh, the fact that they are looking at life wrong is a product of the, of the, the learning and choices in life that they've had. And we can, don't have to agree with them, but we can be have compassion towards them at the same time. But it, but in terms of direct involvement, I think uh, the Kazoo story is a great one for how to respond in the moment, where you're not being confrontational and maybe uh, directing a little bit of love in your own way to yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. And I trust, so I hear in that, uh, there's some definite prayer work for me to do in there. I hear that, right? To, to love them and... Uh, I may not agree with their message, but I have to agree that they're part of the one. They're part of this thing called life, and uh, and I'm going to love them and not love their message, but love the humanness within them as they search as they make their own way through this thing called life. This journey. That's very true. Good. Good statement. Well, thank you, Mark. That's OMG. Did you see? We're going to take a quick break. Let's hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be back with you in just a moment, folks. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Spirit Evolving Ministries. Learn more about Reverend Robert and his work in the world at spiritevolving.com. That's spiritevolving.com. Thanks again to Spirit Evolving Ministries for their support of New Thought 2020 and beyond. Well, hello, folks. Welcome back to New Thought 2020 and beyond. Our guest today, I'm so grateful, is with us. It's Reverend Mark Gilbert. Uh, I've had uh, the the pleasure to be working with, studying with a colleague of Reverend Mark's for many years now. Currently, he serves as the Global Services Coordinator for the Centers for Spiritual Living. And what that it means is he's working to support the growth of the science of mind philosophy around the planet. He's an author of four books. They're on my shelf back there somewhere and has two published websites and a growing YouTube channel, which is really good. It's very informative and I encourage you to check that out. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to get to 
to that website. Uh, his books and his videos explore new thought through a spiritual evolutionary lens. And he explores topics that include integral theory, spiral dynamics, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, psychology, metaphysics, the law of attraction, the science of mind, politics, culture, and more. Uh, Mark, what more is there? <laughs> Whatever you want to talk about today. Uh, <laughs> Whatever we want. Any of those subjects. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, you know, I, I applaud you because I have found that. Uh, we were chatting before we started this, you mentioned, right, as you do this work more, the longer you've done this work, the shorter the bio becomes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a time in my life that I liked, you know, touting all the things that I had done and accomplished. And, you know, and I was, I think I was being introduced to the talk one time and the, and the, the bio that I'd given them just went on and on and on. I don't, I don't think people don't need to know all of that. <laughs> You know, it's almost ego-driven, so I think the older I get and the wiser I get, let's get to what's important and let go of the attachments to the past. Yeah, right on. I applaud you there. And what you've gotten to is pretty concise. It speaks to a lot because you're covering some of what I believe are the primary philosophies that help people understand their drivers, their their influencers, what's pushing and calling and, and moving us both as human beings and as spiritual beings. So I'm really excited to, to kind of explore some of the things with you here today. And you know, one of the reasons I really wanted you to be one of my very first guests on this podcast is we're taking, I believe, a slightly different perspective on politics specifically. Mm-hmm. There are appearances, um, beliefs in separation and division across our spe- the spectrum of our country of the United States right now. Um, that's reaching into other countries, and we're not. And I don't want it to sound like America is in a vacuum here. We're actually seeing some of these uh, aspects play out uh, across the globe in various countries. So, but you know, we're we're new thoughters. We're metaphysicians. We're here. In America, help help me, help the listeners understand, what's your perspective? You've got a lot of background. You, you worked heavily with the coffee party uh, in the last election cycle. Mm-hmm. You were quite involved there. What's your take on the state of the union, the state of our political <laughs> system from a higher consciousness, from a, a spiritual perspective? You know, Robert, you know, the, the short answer to the question, which I'll give you, and then I'm going to come back to a story. Is, um, is that it's playing out just exactly as it needs to be, that there's a dynamic tension going on between what we've been and what we're called to be. And when we look at the differences of opinion, so-called culture wars, the, you know, the things that are less than what we think are the possibilities for us as humans, uh, then we end up in some sort of argument, conflict, debate, discussion. And it seems, you know, that we spend all this time in, in debate, but, um, but what we're really experiencing is the dynamic tension that's part of the evolutionary process. Now, here's my, here's my story, if you can bear with me for a moment. I had a weird dream last night, and I thought, well, okay, I'll share that with Robert when we do the radio show. Uh, I, I, and this dream, you know, I came out of it. It was so in, in, impactful that I sat in meditation this morning, uh, and, and, and the dream kept popping in to, to be interpreted. The dream quickly was this. I was with my wife. She was doing some sort of presentation. We were in a medium-sized auditorium or hall. Uh, I couldn't be with her, so I had to find a seat. So I went and found this seat along the back wall, 
but it wasn't ready time for the show. So I put my stuff down and then I went roaming around. And so when I came back to my stuff where I had marked my little area to sit down, somebody had moved my stuff about three or four seats down and put their stuff, you know, in that area. And I immediately in my dream, I got this horrible anger, you know, and I was, uh, you know, I, I immediately went into wanting to, I, and, and I started taking their stuff and was about to just throw it away, you know, move, shove it aside so I could put my stuff back. And I caught myself in, in the dream and said, uh, no, I'm going to leave their stuff there. And I went over and picked up my stuff that they had moved to this new location and said, you know, I really don't want to move there, but it's not that big a deal. So I went on. And then I walked, I walked around looking for another place to sit down and I ran into my wife and I told her about what happened. And she said, well, did you stand up for your rights? Did you, you know, set healthy boundaries with these people? They shouldn't be able to move your, your seat for where you would put your stuff down. And I said, you know, I didn't because they weren't there and I could have stayed there and made a confrontation, but in the big scheme of things, it wasn't that important. And I said, if it had been important, I would have done that. But in this particular thing, it was not. And that was the end of the dream. Okay. And so, um, and so when I was contemplating on that this morning in my meditation, what it really spoke to me about is, is the state of dynamic tension that we're always in as spiritual beings having this human experience. And when we look at our, our spiritual path that we're on, you know, we have come through this animalistic past where we have moved through a process of, of a form that was survival of the fittest. And we're now moving into this place of being of, of humanity evolving beyond its humanness into its spiritual truth, its oneness, its recognition of all it is. But if you look back at the evolutionary path, the dynamic tension between what's called agency, i.e. taking care of yourself and your, and your own needs in this moment versus communion, connecting with something grander than you, is, is been a dynamic tension that is involved in every step of the evolutionary process. I love the work of Ken Wilber. And what Ken, Ken talks about this a lot too, about the fact that, uh, that an entity has to maintain its selfness, but it also has to re- release a little bit of its selfness to become part of something bigger. And he talks about how atoms have to be atoms, but atoms have to release a little bit of their atomness to become a molecule. And similarly, molecules, which are made up of atoms, holding their atomness together, have to be part of, uh, you know, have to maintain their molecule state, but also release it a little bit to be part of a cell. And cells have to maintain their cellular state while also releasing a part of themselves to be something grander, to be part of a multicellular structure, a, a plant, an animal, etc. And every, everywhere along the evolutionary process has been this tension between holding on to us as an entity separate and apart from things and wanting to connect with something bigger and grander than from what we are. And so every step of evolution has required that we move through that dynamic tension and hold it at some level. Even, even now within the structure of our humanness are these cells holding their cellness, molecules holding their moleculeness, and cells holding their cellness and so on, but we're also giving forth and allowing something greater to be birthed from that. If we fast forward up the evolutionary track to where we are now, here we are as these humans who've come through this humanness past, And a lot of our humanness says, I'm this person who doesn't want to have somebody move my stuff on a chair. (laughs) I don't want to, don't tread on me. (laughs) And uh, yet at the same part, we're also called to something bigger to say, you know, 
there is a larger play, at, uh, a, a larger dance that we're a part of here. And uh, yes, we can hold on to our humanness and stand up for ourselves and have boundaries and things that are appropriate. But we've also at the same time got to let go of that to a degree to, to claim what's next on the evolutionary path for humanity. So when you take it to the political system and you look at what's going on out there now, Right. We've come through a lot of evolution of our consciousness about what, what, how we see our humanness. And that's why I won't go through the spiral dynamics model right now. But I love spiral dynamics because it talks about an evolution of our values. And, it, we're, and, what, and a lot of what's going on in the world now with politics, from, when you look at it from spiral dynamics, you see it, it is just different people who are, who are different levels of consciousness. And that's not to judge one is better than the other. It's just right. that's where they are. Right. And so, but because they look at the world differently, they're in conflict about it. And so you have a lot of folks who are, uh, who look at uh, life from a more, uh, let's keep, let's surround our country and keep it separate. Let's, let's keep our culture separate. Let's keep our race separate. Whatever it is, they're trying to hold on to that old separateness that gives them a degree of comfort because it also gave them security and met a lot of needs you know, along, along their path. But there's also people who are looking at things for broader recognition and saying, let's, let's let go of the old boundaries and, and expand to something greater. And uh, it's not to say that they might not have their misunderstandings and faults as well. Uh, but so when you look out at what's going on politically, um, you know, with, with uh, any, any issue, it tends to be a dynamic tension between a withdrawal or a retraction and an expansion to something greater. Right. And, and it's not, and it's easy for us to get into a place of right and wrongness and judging everybody as being either right or wrong. And what we need to do is sometimes step beyond the argument and say, how can we create and craft a greater expression that honors both where we've come from and the desires and needs of a lot of people? Or how can we assist them in moving, moving along in terms of their particular growth and development? So. Right. You, you touch on a great point there at the end that uh, is one of the central tenets of my personal belief system and this, this program, right? How do we find that both end? Right. Going right. beyond the you're wrong, I'm right. Going beyond the you have to be wrong for me to be right. But finding that place where there a whole new path, a whole new avenue opens up. Yeah. You know, I've written about that a number of times on my, uh, on my blog site, Conscious Bridge. Um, about the when and, and the and the shorthand answer to to the issue is is whenever we stop and recognize that we're faced with some left right either or black and white question or you know that we think it has to be one way or the other that that's a, that's an opportunity that's calling us for growth through a new expanded version that again back to Wilbur he talks about transcend and include include both of the the left and the right the black and the white to get the left and the yes and the no but find a new new path that's even higher than that and, and include the others in that that's what that's what evolution has always done is it, it's it's taken the the two pieces that are in this dynamic tension and sought the third higher way incorporating the two within it yeah yeah again another great great point that it is paramount to all of this and that's the transcend and include mm -hmm. and and for me that's always i don't want to look at it from a hierarchical perspective of me being more evolved or more spiritual or have more access to the infinite or whatever but there's always a sense of i'm reaching behind me or, or around me 
to offer others an avenue to change, shift, evolve, grow along again, as you say, their own personal spiritual path. Yeah, yeah. You know, you used a key term there, Robert. I think that's essential and sometimes can be a stumbling block for people on their development. And that's hierarchies. There's a lot of people who um, they, they push back because they've looked out at life and they've seen hierarchical natures, you know, the haves and the have nots, the people with power who have exerted control over others. They look at authoritarian leaders in other countries who, who, you know, stomp on the rights of the people within their country. And we look at those things and say, hierarchies are bad, wrong. And so they, there's, a, there's a tendency when we're, when we're moving beyond hierarchies to say all hierarchies are bad. But what, what a lot of teachers like to point at is there's two kinds of hierarchies. There's growth hierarchies where it's a natural state. Me moving from, from where I used to be to where I am now, I see that I have a better perspective than I did. Is that not a hierarchy? That's a growth hierarchy. And, and we see that all the time. If you go back to things like Piaget's states of development with young children, when people move from being, from not being able to see another or take another's perspective to the, to the age where they can and the other developmental stages within Piaget, as well as any developmental model, you see that people, when they grow, they're growing through a hierarchy. So a lot of the things that we're experiencing are really growth and good. What's Mm. what we tend to push against are the dominator hierarchies. Dominator hierarchies are where power gets controlled in the hands of a few and, and at the top. You, you can think of the old hierarchy of, of an office uh, organizational chart, you know, where the persons at the top makes all the decisions and the people at the bottom are the minions who just follow that out. And whenever we see these kinds of things, that sense of equanimity that's within us wants to push back against these dominator hierarchies and our pushback against them tends to want to say all hierarchies are bad, but they're not all bad. There's the fact that we can move up a ladder of growth is moving up a hierarchy and it's a good thing for us to do and to be open to it. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Yes, great, great, great. And, you know, I'm struck. So in all of this, um, I'm bringing what keeps coming through for me is, okay, I call myself a progressive. I call myself progressive politically. Mm -hmm. Uh, I avoid all the other labels. And I know that there is a wide swath of of our country that very much identifies in some form of conservatives uh, of being calling themselves conservative. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been striving to try to grasp some of that perspective, but I don't know. And so my real view of all this has to happen from within what I call the progressive side of politics. Mm-hmm. Currently, if I look at the pro- what I consider the progressive side, we've got the Democratic Party, and I think I've lost track. Um, Colorado is all a buzz. Uh, former Governor Hickenlooper has now uh, announced his candidacy for president in 2020. We've got Kamala Harris. We've got um, our first openly gay presidential candidate. Um, I'm going to be having a conversation with a few gentlemen in a week or so about that one. Um, is America ready for its first openly gay president? Uh, and along the way, we also have Marianne Williamson, which uh, everyone uh, I'm talking to knows I'm not shy about promoting at this point. Uh, we have a new thought candidate who has announced and is uh, running and and personally, I believe right now the biggest thing is let's get that voice in the debates. Sure. 
However, we also have, it would appear, and let's come back to our analogy of the molecules and the atoms, we also appear to have a more entrenched, let's call it older school democratic perspective in people like Joe Biden, who, while have not officially announced a candidacy for 2020, um, seems to be nudging that way and rumors and people are pushing and da, 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 whatever on all that. Mm-hmm. But we have such a wide array of perspectives lining up to say, pick me to be your champion. And, and from my perspective, being able to, beat the current president isn't qualifications enough. And I'm, I'm concerned that people are defaulting to who they feel has the best chance to right now, two years out to beat the current sitting president. Mm-hmm. Your takes on any of this. Who do you say? Yeah. You know, a number of thoughts, Robert, first off, I echo what others have said um, is that it's, it's exciting to have a field of candidates that I relate to that I feel are pushing us towards the progressive growth and evolution as a country that I think is important. And so, you know, in the past, I've struggled with the fact that oftentimes when I look at the, uh, the candidates, I'm voting for, you know, almost the lesser of two evils, or I'm, I'm voting against some person rather than voting for, you know, with an excitement towards the other person. And so when I look at the, you know, and I would consider myself progressive too, um, it's when I look at the uh, democratic uh, uh, slate of people who've announced, there is a handful of people in there. Many of them you, you mentioned that I thought I could vote for them. I could vote for them there. You know, they excite me. The, the, other, the thing that's going to shake down is, is during this uh, exciting uh, uh, primary uh, season is which one has the excitement and can ignite the passion within the electorate to get them to come out and support them with their dollars and their time and their votes. And it's that, I don't know who that's going to be. I, I, but I think the one that can, the one that can paint the most uh, compelling, exciting vision that people can get behind Hmm. is the one that's going to emerge as the democratic uh, nominee. Uh, and, and then that's, uh, you know, hopefully who, who uh, will get elected, because I do think that, you know, we had to go through this experience with Trump for some reason. And I, I know that right. there's a lot of people out there who are uh, who love Trump, who just, you know, that, that I mean, people in my own family, you know, that we, in a, or different places when I visit, you know, I've encountered a number of people that I know who are big fans of his. And I understand it. I really I've, I tried to, to delve into that and to get at what what is it? about him that, and I think, again, back to when you're looking at it from the, um, you know, a cultural growth, there, there are so many factors It would take more than the time we have on the show to really right. get into the different reasons why I think so many people came out in, in support of Trump or, or even cling to, you know, to support of Trump now, the so-called base that so, seems to be anchored with him no matter what. Right. Um, but I think the, the, the reasons they got into it were so varied, but a lot of it was, I think, a lot of, uh, uh, there were people who, who listened to what he said and believed his message that he was going to be somebody to shake up the system. And even I resonated with that message when he was running. I thought, well, there were a number of things he said that I thought, well, that sounds good. You know, I couldn't get beyond some of the more racist things he did or uh, uh, 
things of that nature or just the very fact that, you know, I felt like he was on some levels of, you know, conning the people and didn't really want to be president, but, uh, or was in it for, you know, to expand the Trump brand and make more money. But, um, you know, so I ultimately, I didn't get behind him. Uh, but it, in, and since he's been president, you know, he's done so many things that I think have been uh, detrimental to the office of the president, to uh, what, what we've held as ideals for this country. But when I sit back and look at it from a spiritual standpoint, I have to say, okay, there are a lot of people in this country. We've got to take a look at why they continue to support Trump and why they resonate with his message. And we, and we need to really, it's almost like a shadow side of the country that we need to address. And if we, if we don't heal that and move beyond it, we're going to continuously be dealing with it. And, and it's uh, a lot of people point to the racial divide that's within our country. We, we like to think that when we voted in Obama, that we were beyond, you know, any kind of black, white racism in this country, but obviously we're not. And we're still in some degree reliving the, you know, the days of the civil war. Uh, within certain areas of the populace of this country. Um, and people are fearful of losing, uh, of melding uh, on. And again, it gets back to that point of that dynamic tension that we were mentioning up front. People who want to, there's a natural tendency to want to uh, close the wagons around things that you're comfortable with and, you, and, and say, this is what I know. This is what makes me feel secure and safe. And so we've got to make people feel safe and secure where they are with the, with the growth that's occurring. At the same time, we can push growth so fast that these people get, they get reactive and close down and want to take, you know, they, they withdraw down the spiral to uh, lower levels of thinking and, uh, and come and act from fear rather than, than love and inclusiveness. Right. So, um, you know, so that, that's, you know, that's one major thing that's, that's, that's going on. And I think that when, when we move through all of this at a, at a bigger level, what we're having to do is move through this dark night of the soul of our country that we're having to face these issues. And whenever we faced issues, we can take it back to the the microcosm of our own life and take it where we've had any kind of negative thing that has just knocked our socks off that, you know, that threw us for such a loop that we were in a a funk or a depression or whatever it was, you know, that that's moved us into levels of grief and, and pain that, that, and when we look back at our life and we see those down downward periods, we know that we had to go through them to grow to where we are now, that we, that we ultimately it serves some greater good. I see that in my own life so many times. And so when I take that same growth uh, uh, le- learning and apply it to the culture in our country, we had to go through the pain of the Civil War to come out right. with, and let go of slavery as a formal institution. We've had so many times like that where we've had negative things where our country had to go through the depression to come out of it, to create a base source of income for people through things like social security and and healthcare coverage. And every time that we've gone through a negative, we've, we've created something new. Mm -hmm. So what I'm, what I'm encouraged about in spite of all the, the uh, separation and the negativity and the arguing and the culture wars is that I know that this dark night of the solar country is going through is actually going to birth some newness, some freedom, some expansiveness that's going to take us to a greater level of what we can be as a people. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, there's the promise in there, right? I love that. And, and, you know, that brings me really to the biggest question that I have for you today is, 
you're, you're at the center of a global organization who dedicated to creating a world that works for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've, we'll be discussing that on this program, folks, at length with all of our guests. What that, how are we going about that? How do we move in the direction uh, of creating a world that works for everyone? And, and, and in light of what we've been sharing here today, our, 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 the upcoming decisions we have as a culture, as a people, politically, the influences that we see, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I saw a Facebook meme just yesterday, Iran deal terminated, Paris climate deal withdrawn, TPP withdraw, individual mandate repealed, Obama, Obama war on coal ended. Appeasing our enemies, over. Balanced Supreme Court, restored. Obama's anti-American legacy is being obliterated, and it's truly a beautiful thing to witness. That's a valid perspective to a portion of our population. Now, from my perspective, that seems in complete opposition to creating a world that works for everyone. But from your perspective... How do we progress? How do we, what can we do? What can the listeners do to move evolution consciousness to be part of the flow forward? Yeah. You know, this is something I've written up a good bit about. I think one of my books I covered it, you know, what does it mean to have a world that works for all? And, and on my YouTube channel, uh, this is an upcoming video that I'm, that I'm currently uh, working on. It's probably kind of come out in the next few weeks, but um, I can give you the sort of the, the, the short answer and what I, what I've come to realize. And it's not, this is not the official position of the organization I work for. They have different ways. I mean, you can talk to different people like Dr. Ken Gordon, who's head of centers of spiritual living. He's the spiritual leader and he has a beautiful way of describing uh, creating a world that works for all. But here's how I, I look at it. And I apply Maslow's hierarchy. And most of your, m- most folks are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, but you know, it's basically, he says that um, we have needs as, as humans and that if we have to meet our basic needs to move up to, to be focusing on higher needs. So we have to first meet our physiological once that's met, we can focus on safety and security. Once that's met, we can work on love and belongingness. And beyond that, self-esteem. And then beyond that, his original chart had a, the highest uh, aspect of it was something called self-actualization. Later, and, and the idea is that a world that works for all is, is a world that allows people to have access to meeting all of their basic needs. And then moving up the spiral so they can move towards self-actualization. I'm going to, later in his life, Maslow came back and he modified his, his pyramid. A lot of people don't know the later version of it, but he added a few extra levels into it. And then he also categorized two, type, two, two areas of, of the pyramid. He, he added in um, uh, a, another level that was, I think, below self-esteem or maybe right above it, but it dealt with uh, aesthetics and understand like wanting beauty and things like that in your life. And at the higher level, even above self-actualization, he added one called transcendence where humans were driven by a need to, when they got to the higher levels, to transcend their humanness into something greater and grander. To me, that's the, the, you know, the essence of the spiritual path is we're being drawn to the highest levels of, of Maslow's uh, pyramid. And so, but at the lower levels, the levels below self-actualization and self-transcendence, one of the things Maslow wrote about was that these levels are driven by a sense of lack within ourselves, that there's something missing. And that we have to continuously work towards feeling, filling that hole within us, that sense of lack, so that we can move up, move up, and move up. 
and so for and then at the higher levels of, of self-actualization and, and, and transcendence we're, we're driven not by lack but by a sense of fullness that we feel that there is so much in our lives already that we want to give back to others mm-hmm. and so our, our our prime motivator is not a hole in us but an overflowing from us that wants to give in service and love and so forth so when you ask the question, what is, it, what is the world that works for all? To me, I look out at the world and I see every expression of a person, every person on this planet, and we can go to every sentient being. Well, let's just keep it at humans for a moment. Every, every, humans have, every human walking around is this little pocket of consciousness that has evolved to a certain state of awareness. And a lot of that is driven by their life experiences, what country they were born into, what family they were born into, their access to available resources. A person born to a rich family on the, on the east side of New York is going to have access to a different level of life just by the nature of their birth than somebody born in the, you know, in the outback of Australia or the, you know, the bush area of, 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 of Africa. And, and, and so there's that beginning point for that little pocket of consciousness right off the bat has one sort of up the, up the uh, pyramid of levels uh, before the other one does. So for me, creating a world that works for all looks at this inequity that's out there on our planet and says, okay, how can we take our social systems and our education and all of the other things that we as humans have created as tools for humans interacting with one another and restructure this world in a way that allows, no matter where they're born and what, they, what their life circumstances are, to have at least access to the same levels of success and growth on the, on the pyramid, that they have the same levels to the ability to have basic needs met and can move up to where they can work on becoming a self-actualized human and work towards transcendence of their humanness into their spiritual truth. So what does that mean? One of the biggest tools um, is our, our social systems. Uh, one of the things that I wrote about in my book, uh, Be Yourself, a number of years ago, was I wrote about the fact that the United Nations had what they called the Millennium Development Goals. And it was a set of goals that were benchmarks to move up the standard of living for people, access to clean water and uh, health care and education for girls and things of this nature. There were all these benchmarks. How many people are living under, under a poverty level or living under a dollar a day, you know, right. in terms of uh, – and, and they made great inroads on those things. They were set before 2000. They, were, they ended in 2015. That was the time frame. And then the UN set another set of goals called the Sustainable Development Goals. And that was the goals that took us beyond 2015 into the next you know, 10 to 15 years. New benchmarks for us to move towards. And it's encouraging groups and people to focus on those. Because if you, if you take it back to my model of what it, a world that works for everybody, th- those are measurable things that can be tangibly, you know, acted upon that will allow some, uh, the base people who are born at, with dis, at a state of disadvantage right. to have their basic needs met so they can be move up the uh, Maslow's pyramid. Gotcha. So what can we all as humans? And so, you know, to take this back home to ourselves, what can, what can I do in my life that can create a world that works for all? And every person can do it from their own, their own way. What is it that you, you know, that, you know, you're doing it through this particular program and trying to enlighten people to help them understand and educate people. You know, I feel like that's part of what I do as well and in, in the various endeavors that I do. But we can do it in any area of our life. We, can, we do it just simply by modeling love, mm-hmm. uh, giving, you know, helping, offering a helping hand to people. And 
you know, there's so many ways which we can simply not shut down and see ourselves as separate, but look out at, look at all, all the pockets of consciousness that are walking around who have their own perspective on life and may feel like they didn't go to good shape. And that includes a lot of the people that we're faced with and are, you know, that may be political adversaries with us. Doesn't mean we have to uh, bend our boundaries. Uh, back to my wife's statement in my dream, uh, you know, I, I can, you know, if it's appropriate, I can have healthy boundaries with somebody, but still maintain and see their, their unity with me. Right. But how can I then support them, help them yeah. grow? Right. Yeah. A both end approach. Right. Uh, right. And, and that takes work. And that takes effort. And I know in my own experience, finding that, that commonality, that, uh, that common something somewhere. Uh, so great. Well, Hey, you know, folks, uh, we're going to take a break here and let, uh, Reverend Mark grab a, a quick drink of water. We'll hear from our sponsors and we're going to come back with one more segment, uh, before we're done today. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right This program is sponsored in part by Daily Spirit Callings. Sign up today and receive an affirmation, inspiration, and call to action in your daily inbox. Every morning, be inspired with Daily Spirit Callings. Sign up today at spiritevolving.com. All right, folks, we're back, and today we're speaking with Reverend Mark Gilbert. He has been sharing just a wealth of great perspective with us around the upcoming election, our political system, and, uh, and what we can do really to be a part of progress, a part of moving forward, a part of being part of that human evolution. And you know, what I just heard was it's really about following your heart bringing what you love, what you're passionate about, and bringing your truth into the conversation. And, you know, I think one of the biggest conversations out there right now where it's really hard to see love or it's really tough to see anyone's heart is the debate around gun regulation, gun control, automatic weapons bans. I know they're not all the same thing. Uh, It's an incredibly complex issue. I know some very spiritual people um, that have guns that would never give up their guns, um, and yet also believe in some sort of regulation around assault style weapons or automatic style weapons. Uh, Reverend Mark, I'd love to hear some of your perspective on all of this. Um, you know, we just, it, the, the, and I think part of this is what just happened in Christchurch recently has really once again brought this to the forefront mostly because we're seeing a government, a prime minister, uh, that is being very compassionate to the people affected by this. She's offered to pay for the funerals of the 51 people. She's uh, appeared publicly wearing a hijab in, uh, in, a, in support of the Muslim community there in Christchurch. The, the, um, and within days of the incident is moving legislation forward to enact a, a, a ban on assault style weapons in New Zealand. Um, help us see a higher perspective, a higher consciousness on this one. 
Well, you know, first off, of course, our, our, our hearts and, and, and love go out to all the people who were impacted by the, uh, by the events in, in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, we continue to pray for them and, and for their moving through this tragedy. When you look at New Zealand's reaction to moving towards a ban on assault weapons, it's hard not as an American who feels that we've not taken enough steps in the gun arena to say, why haven't we, why can't we do what New Zealand does? Right. And I think when we, when, when that feeling comes up among those of us who feel that some reasonable gun, tr- gun control uh, could and should be done within the United States, I think what we need to take a look at is that imagine New Zealand's a person, imagine the United States is a person, and they've both moved through different lifetimes and different experiences. And so they're at a, both at a choice points based on things that are going on, but their past and all of their memories and experiences that are wrapped up in that uh, call them to looking at the issue a little bit differently. So I, I think that perhaps the, the ease with which New Zealand uh, at least went to this particular level of response and why it's not has not necessarily been a response we've seen in the States is because New Zealand didn't live the life that, that the United States has lived since its creation, you know, several hundred years ago. And one of the things that the United States has, and it's back to this dynamic tension that we've talked about previously, is this tension between individual rights and group rights or being able to uh, protect myself and, and own things and, ha- and exert my own free will choice. And America has been built on having individual rights, sometimes to the point that they can almost uh, spill over onto the rights of the greater. So that there's this tension going on. And I think that we're moving through it at the right way. However, there's been a, there's a couple of other things that you can't you can't separate from the gun issue, and in, in looking at the issue in the, in the United States, one is this, you know, is the um, money and politics issue, for example, and the very nature that we've crafted a system, and through a lot of our reinforcement and and, and almost uh, glorifying wealth and wealth and power that we've allowed certain corporations and certain groups such as the NRA and, and, our, and crafted a, a structure within our government to allow our politicians to receive large amounts of contributions from various groups like the NRA. That, so that even beyond, you know, left and right, Democrats and Republicans and so forth, you can look and say, well, why haven't our politicians done anything? Well, for one reason, there's most of the folks who've been elected in have been supported by uh, gun advocates. Right. And so, we have the, and, and so many issues get down to this when you look at it in the United States. It's like, why can't we come up with a matter of a, an equitable healthcare system? Money and politics. Why can't we uh, take any issue? If, you, if you're <laughs> right, right now on the Democratic side, we've got a proposal for Democratic candidates to sign a pledge not to take oil and gas money. Right. And that seems like it would be really, really a simple thing to do if you've also signed on to the new Green Deal, which right. most Democratic candidates are now proposing or now getting behind the new Green Deal. Well, wouldn't that just be – that makes sense to me that you would sign a pledge not to take oil and gas. But money is powerful in politics. Yeah, you know, and, and until we are able to address issues like the Citizens United decision a number of years ago – and other recent shifts that have allowed a higher degree of corporate um, change, 
uh, corporate uh, involvement in, in our political system. We, we, some of these issues may have to, we may have to get to the dark night of the soul a little deeper on these before the American populace wakes up and says, we've got to do something on it. And I think we're, I think we're getting there. It's that, it's that same point that we have to get to something. We have to hit rock bottom sometimes. We've done, and, and we've done this, even, even on the issue of money and politics. There's a great book out there by uh, Tom Hartman, who's a progressive radio host, who wrote a book called The Crash of 2016. And I had the pleasure to get to interview Tom as part of the work I was doing for a radio show with the coffee party a number of years ago. And we were discussing his book. And his book really was about these cycles that the, the U.S. goes through where we, we allow the, um, the aggregation of great amounts of wealth in the few to develop. And they exert their power for uh, a number of years. Um, and from that, we have... Uh, uh, it, we have a reaction to it. And sometimes it's almost like a balloon growing and growing and growing. And then there's a, a pop to it. And we, and we swing back to the other side of the spectrum. And right. so, so many times, and he's tracked it through the history of the U.S., of aggregation of power and money in the few, a reaction to it, swinging back to more equitable standpoint, and then over time, a slow moving back towards aggregation of money and the power in the few. And, and I forget the time sequence of it. I don't want to say it's something like 40, 50 years. But, okay. but he tracked it through the history of the U.S. and said that we, we were due for another one of these uh, retractions in the late around 2008, 2009. But because of, of uh, the, the financial crisis and the efforts that, were take that, helped, that held up the, some of our institutions, it delayed it. He said that we were head, heading towards a crash in 2016. Um, you can argue that we, we, what does that crash look like? We may be in the midst of this crash right now and might not even know it. But, right. but the, um, the bottom line issue is that we're, we, we will yin and yang and swing of the pendulum back. There will be this, you know, we're, there's so too much money in politics, too much uh, uh, inequity. I think a lot of the, the push now for a lot of progressive politics is a reaction by a, a swing middle of the populace who are saying we need to make changes. And I think those changes will impact a number of things and we'll get the money out and to a degree, and we'll probably start another, another uh, process. I think there are some inherent things that, that, have, thing. that, that are, that are built into our system that allow, uh, you know, that, that people who move through their own evolution get to a point where they feel like they're part of their life is to move and have power and exert power and have control and have more money and wealth. But I think, you know, as a, as a, as a collective people, I think we will eventually move beyond that. Uh, state, but it may be many, many, uh, many years, and and uh, but we're just going through a swing right now. Is the bottom line, and it's so back to the uh, issue of guns. Yes, uh, there's too much money in politics, and we're moving through a swing of people reacting. And America has a different history regarding guns, and I I'm not a proponent for everybody getting rid of guns. I think I think that. L- let me just say that if I could cut to. Uh, 100,000 years from now and a further evolution of humanity, I would love to envision a world where guns are not desired because we honor the state of humanness and our spiritual nature so much that anything that would be detrimental and harm another should be removed and and should be, uh, it's not that we would even need to ban it. It's just that in our own consciousness, we would say, we no longer need this. It falls away. And it falls away, much like typewriters fall away when we develop computers and things like that. It's, it's an old technology that no longer serves us. 
and I, and you know, so my hope is that we will evolve eventually to that point. But right now, I, I personally am not, quote unquote, against guns. I think that there's a, um, you know, it, an argument can be made that as long as we're on this evolutionary path, there needs to be a, there needs to be appropriate tools that apply that, that allow checks and balances on power that could get out of whack. Yeah. And um, every time that I think about, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z that's somewhat drastic and cut to where I think is the end game and where we're going. Uh, maybe we're, and we're, my wife likes to remind me we're not quite ready for that. And maybe there's a, there's a necessity or point to keep this tool in front of us. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I think, but I think that reasonable gun controls in the United States can be applied. I think it's also tied to the issue here of, uh, of mental health treatments and, and decisions we've made as a populace a number of years ago to, to cut back on a lot of the services to people who right. really need assistance in moving through the challenges of, of being a human. And, and we've instead sort of tossed these people on the, the ash heap of, of uh, what's important. And I think we need to get back and recognize that there, but for the grace of God, go I, that I am united with that person and that their, their struggles psychologically or whatever are, are my struggles and I need to help assist them. That's part of that creating a world that works for all that we're talking about. And another big conversation, another big aspect of all of this. And uh, perhaps we can have you back on again. Uh, Reverend Mark, we'll discuss that aspect of it again at another time. I know your time's limited today and we want to get you back into the rest of your day, getting to do the good work you're doing. You know, it struck me in that in your last sharing there as I was listening, um, I'm not going to quote this verbatim, folks, but uh, there's an old line by uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes. In, it is in the times of darkness, in the hour of most need, when it is most important to do our work, to be the peop- to be the spiritual leaders, to be the spiritual people we are, and to move back into our work of prayer, meditation, spiritual practice, to remind ourselves and know that there's a higher truth playing out. And I, I, you really brought me back to, to that reminder that no matter what it looks like, there is a higher order at play here. And as I stay open to that, as, as I keep my eyes appealed for that, then it's going to show up. So um, I want to thank you again for being our guest today. It's hey, been thanks for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I hope you'll come back again and again as we uh, continue. This has been New Thought 2020, folks. I'm gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back to wrap this up with you in just a moment. Peace and blessings. Until now, bye now. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Reverend Robert. I thank you for listening. This has been episode number three with Reverend Mark Gilbert. We'll look forward to connecting with you again next time on New Thought 2020 and Beyond. On behalf of everyone that contributed to today's episode, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating in the discussion. And thank you for being part of the consciousness that shapes the future of our political and social discussions. Learn more at newthought2020.org. That's newthought2020.org. And please invite your friends to listen to the podcast, newthought2020.org. Until next time, peace and blessings. 
go forth and prosper. <laughs>